I'm going to introduce to everyone to our guest speaker this morning, is Samantha Hampshire. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> welcome, Sam. Uh, this is a young lady who really loves God. She loves Jesus, and uh, it's just such a privilege to have Sam part of our church. Uh, I've seen Sam grow up <laughs> and grow in God. And uh, yeah, you know, Sam is um, she's uh, employed by the church 20 hours a week. She's a youth uh, facilitator. She leads our youth group with a team. She works closely with Pastor Andrew, and she's currently studying at. Um, uh, Harvest, that's right, doing a diploma in ministry. Sam, we're just looking forward to what uh, you're going to share this morning. Bless you. Thank you, Selwyn. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here. It's such a blessing to be able to come together and, and to be able to just worship, to be able to be here for one purpose, for one, one calling, and to be with each other, with God. I'm just going to start off with prayer, so if you'd like to bow your heads. Lord, I just thank you so much for the privilege it is to be part of your church, to be part of your body, Lord. I thank you for the, uh, the amazing gift we have in this, in this country, to be able to gather together on a Sunday morning and to be able to worship together, to be able to pray together and to be able to learn from one another. Lord, I just pray that you would bless everyone this morning. I pray that uh, through my words that, that, uh, that your will can be advanced, Lord, in the lives of the people here. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the most important part over. Um, (laughs) So before I said good morning, and we say that all the time, but what do we actually mean when we say good morning to each other? What does good mean? What defines a good morning? My good is uh, snowboarding. I love to snowboard. That is something that is good for me. I'm going snowboarding in just over a month with some mates down to Buller. Um, That's one of the things that I find good. I love snowboarding. I love the rush that you get when you're there. I love that even though it's freezing cold, you really just don't notice it because you're having so much fun, all this adrenaline everywhere. It's just fantastic. And being up at the snow, I'm not sure if any of you guys have been there before, but yes, you have. (laughs) You eat snow. It's very delicious. And it's just so beautiful up there. Everything's so crisp and beautiful. And there's just so many things about the snow that is good. Another person's uh, good is KFC. They have a slogan that proves it. My brother says amen to that. Um, It is so good. I love KFC. I had it for lunch earlier this week, and it is another thing that is good for me. I think some of us might have a bit of a split opinion here. Some people might say, "Mm, way too much oil, Mm, not too good. But for some people, KFC is good. I think we can all agree that last week at CFC, we had our family service, I think we can all agree that bubbles last week at church were good. Yep, I get a few amens. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> bubbles were good because that was fun. It was something different. It was something playful. We, I think we all enjoyed that. I didn't see anyone who was sitting down not blowing bubbles. But if good can be different for everyone, if all of us different people here this morning around the world, we all have a different idea of what good is. And that's not necessarily right or wrong, it's just different for each person. Is there a greater good? Is there something that is true for everyone? Is there a type of good that, is, that everyone can um, maybe not even agree on, but is absolutely true for everyone? So we're going to watch uh, just a really quick clip from one of my favourite movies, The Incredibles. Um, so we're going to watch that in a second. Thanks, Laura. 
my super suit. What? Where is my super suit? Uh, That is one of my all-time favourite scenes of any of the movies. And I was just so happy that I could work it into, into the sermon this morning. <laughs> They're talking about the greater good there. The, I'm not even sure of Frozone's wife. Frozone and his dear wife, they, they understand that there's a greater good, or at least Frozone does. He realises that the public is in danger. There's evil robots circling around and they're trying to trying to bring destruction to people. And he realises that the greater good is peace for the people, is safety for the people. So he understands that there is a greater good. And I think we can all agree that there is a greater good. There is a good that is true for everyone. There is an unchanging good. But what is, what is all that about? Is it just about saving the public from evil robots? Because if so, that doesn't really affect Colac, not that I know of. Um, is, it, is there more? Is there more to the greater good? We're going to look at that a little bit this morning. So let's take a step back in time. Um, all the way back to Genesis. So I remember in, in Sunday school... Very well. Um, one of the first memory verses that we were taught. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. And throughout that whole first chapter, you see that God created light, God created all of these different things. And after he created each thing, he stood before creation. He looked at it and it says, and God saw that it was good. It happened over and over again. He saw that it was good. But why was it good? What made creation good? It was, well, it was beautiful. Still is, but some, some might say that it was a, even more beautiful um, at the beginning of creation. It was beautiful creation because God had created it. It was beautiful. It was whole. And all things were according to God's plan. All things were according to his design. And all things were according to his purpose. Everything worked well together, like, like clockwork. He'd, he'd specifically designed each creature, each animal, each law of gravity to specifically fulfill a purpose and to fulfill his design and that all together when everything works together in God's will that is good that is an unchanging good that is a good that is true for everyone and everything now let's go forward in time to eternity to heaven that's something that we all look forward to it's a time that we look forward to it's something that we celebrate it's a destination on this awesome journey and it says in Revelation 21 verse 4 it's talking about um, the future, that in the future, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. So that sounds pretty good to have no pain, no death, no mourning, no crying, none of that. To be rid of all of that side of the life that we've got here and to have an even better life. That is something that I think we can all agree is good. Amen. <laughs> so we have a past good that we can look back on. Uh, we have a future good that we can look forward to. But what about now? What about the world that we live in in 2016 in Australia, in the city of Colac and surrounding areas? What about now? Each of us experience pain. We experience broken relationships. We experience shame in our own lives. We experience pride that can cause us to stumble and fall. Some of us even experience hopelessness. We can... 
each, each one of us here have, have all these different issues and, and we put a smile on and we carry on our day and say, God is good, that is true, but each of us have pain. So where does God's plan for restoration to the good come through now? What has that got to do with in between Genesis and eternity? Where does the good come through? So this morning I want to focus on the church. What this all means for the church. We are the church. If you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've uh, confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you've made him Lord and Saviour over your, your life, you are part of the church. You are, you are part of something bigger than yourself. So the church is... We're God's reconciled children. We were once separated from, from God by sin, by, um, by the enemy. We were separated because there's someone against us. And we were separated because we didn't realise, we didn't see God was our Father. And if you've made that step, if you've, if you've come into relationship with God, you've been reconciled, you've been grafted back into the tree, you've been, um, become one of God's children again, as you're always supposed to be. We are, as a church, we are the body of Christ. We are the vessel that God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who can think and do much more than any, any number of us, he chooses to use the body of Christ as his hands and feet. He uses us. We are his method of uh, implementation. He uses us to carry out his will. And that just, the more I think about it, the, the more that sort of, really baffles me because he's God. He created the whole planet. He could easily make us um, do whatever we want without you know, using, um, using us, using broken vessels like us to carry out his will and to carry out his purpose. And we are also the temple of God, each of us individually. Uh, it says in the Bible that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We are to be holy and pleasing to God. We are the temple of God together. We are the temple of God. It is in us that God dwells. His Holy Spirit dwells. We were singing this morning. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare than our living hope. In your presence, his presence lives inside each of us. And we are the temple of God. Let's not underestimate how powerful it is to be the temple of God. Because no tree can hold God. He used, to, he used to reside in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, but now he decides to reside in each of us, in his church, in his body of Christ. Amen. That's some, that's some pretty good news. That's a greater good news. The church, however, in our modern Western world, has uh, got a reputation, some might say, has, has become infamous for not being good. It's become infamous. Um, some people say that, oh, the church is just full of hypocrites. I saw a picture on Facebook the other day actually. It was a picture of some bikey. He was obviously road motorbike, so he's in some biker gang or whatever. And I can't remember exactly what he was saying, but it read something like people are always telling me that, you know, I'm rough, I'm harsh, I'm bad, rah rah rah. But it seems to me that the people in church are sometimes the most judgmental and hypocritical. And I'm not here saying that that's hundred percent true. I'm saying that that's that's a reputation that, that's been brought into the world, whether or not it's it's uh, true or not, um, it's something that has happened. But let me give you an example from my own life of, of how I've sort of contributed to that. So I was about oh, nine years old. Have we got any nine-year-olds? Where's Jack and Lucy? 
There you are. <laughs> We've got some nine-year-olds. So I was about Jack or Lucy's age. And um, I was at a new school. And I just sort of started making friends. Um, and my friends, I was, I was chatting with them one day. And get in little arguments, even in primary school. And I had a point that I wanted to get across. I cannot remember what the point was. But I remember I wanted to get a point across. And I wanted everyone to agree with me. Anyway, and so I'm with some of my friends. And one of my friends, Jess... She speaks up and she's like, oh, everybody, you know, Christians are perfect, right? Like, Christians can't lie. And Sam's a Christian. So whatever she says, it, it's got to be true because Christians can't lie. <laughs> and I'm sitting back and I'm listening to this come out of her mouth and I'm just like, oh, yes, this is good. <laughs> this is very good because now everyone's going to listen to Jess because she was, she was one that people listened to. And they're going to listen to her and they're going to think, wow, whatever comes out of Sam's mouth has to be true. If I, if I disagree with Sam, I've got to be the one who's wrong. And so, me, even as a little nine-year-old, took advantage <laughs> of this awesome belief that Jess had. Jess wasn't a Christian at the time. My brother's shaking his head at me. Um, <laughs> Jess wasn't a Christian at the time, but she knew, even as a young child, that the church is supposed to be good. The church is supposed to be um, a group of people that don't do bad things like lie. And here I was, a young child, I think I'd given my life to Jesus at that stage and I saw that opportunity and I took it and I was selfish. I took it for myself and I said, I'm going to use this and I'm going to advance my personal will and, and lie to them in the process. And can you think of, of how that would have affected Jess if she found out, she probably did, that you know, I did actually lie and that, oh, okay, well, the church isn't you know, as, as good as I thought it was kind of thing. That's one example. It's a cute little example of... Um, <laughs> of the reputation that has uh, become of, of the church. But, there is a but, we have good news. We have good news. God has a purpose for the church. And God's purpose for the church is a good one. It is to have peace. It's to have shalom. It's for each of us in the, in the community of Christ, in the body of Christ. It's for each of us to have peace for us not to be filled with anxiety, for us to be not filled with um, overwhelm, being overwhelmed with work or with family or anything like that, but for us to have peace, to be able to rest and relax, to rest in God. God's good purpose for the church is relationship. Relationship between us and God, that's obviously a very big one, and relationship with each other in the church. And, and for those relationships to be spurred by love, not to be spurred uh, because it's our duty to do it and it's something we have to do when we're robots and rah, 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 but a relationship which is forged out of love and is driven by love. And this is true love. And God's good purpose for his church is for us to be holy. It is for us to be righteous. And so many good things can flow out of a church that is together in peace that is together in relationship, and that is holy and righteous. So many good things can come out of a church like that. Now, for this purpose to be outworked, for this good purpose that God has, this greater good purpose that God has, we can't do it alone. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't just look at these words on the screen. We can't even just look at the words in the Bible and say, okay, yep, okay, I'm going to do as the Bible says, I'm going to do that. Um, there's, there's, there's one thing that, that we definitely require, and that is Jesus. We require Jesus. We require his life. We require his death. 
we require his resurrection and we require his ascension. His life, as we, as we can see in this Bible here, in this awesome book, we can see that his life brings teaching. It brings empowerment to us as, as followers of Jesus. It has lots of different parables. It has, um, many, it has some commandments. It just has real, wonderful, supernatural advice on how to live as Jesus lived because that's what his life was about, teaching others to be able to live as he did. His death... His death paid the price. Without his death, if we were to have this picture here and we didn't have the top right corner, we didn't have the bit about his death, nothing else of it would be possible. It wouldn't be accessible to us because each of us have sinned. Each of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, there are, you know, people who are nice and, and people who are not nice in our own opinions, but at the end of the day, each of us have sinned. Each of us have turned and gone his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's what he did when he had his death on the cross. He paid that price so that each of us who have sinned can enter into what I'm talking about today. His resurrection, when he rose again, that conquered death, that sealed um, for us who entered into his death... That sealed for us to be able to enter into his life also so that once we do give our life to Jesus, once we fall under his reign, that death can no longer touch us. There's no turning back. There's no, there's no oh no, what if we don't win the race? What if I don't do this? There's, there's no worry anymore. There's no fear anymore because Jesus has risen again. He has conquered death. So there's no turning back now. And his ascension, that is uh, the part that elevates him as king. And he is a good king. He is a very good king. But I just want to take a moment to say, if, if maybe you're here and you're a visitor, if you are a visitor, it's lovely to see you. Welcome to our wonderful church. Um, if, if maybe you've never heard this before or maybe you've never um, come to that place where you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, I want to let you know that this morning you can do that. This afternoon you can do that. Anytime you can do that. And if, if God's stirring on your heart right now that... Um, that he wants you to, to press in. I want, you to let you, I want to let you know you can do that this morning. It's because of his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension that we can live out the good purpose for the church. So Jesus being a good king. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. Oh, oh there we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, If you've got your Bibles, feel free to open up to them or you can read along with me on the slide. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So who are we joined together by? Jesus. We are joined together by him and we are, we are made a holy temple. It's not, it's not saying that, uh, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple in the Lord. We are carefully joined together in him. This unity that I'm, I'm talking about is not something that is accessible to uh, 
purely natural beings. There's, there's a supernatural aspect to it, and that supernatural aspect is the enabling grace of Jesus Christ. We are joined together in him. Yes, we gather here each Sunday morning for a common purpose to, to be here together, to have joy, to worship God, all of that. That's good. But there's a deeper meaning than, than just coming together on a Sunday morning or just having perhaps a Bible study or doing some sort of program in the church. We are joined together in a deeper sense, in a deeper aspects, aspect. And uh, in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23, it shows Jesus um, praying. It shows Jesus praying. Um, and he's, he's talking, obviously, to his father. And he's saying, I'm not praying only for these disciples around me, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. So that's us. <laughs> that, is, that is us. So many times I read from the Bible and I think, oh, well, okay, that's really nice, Jesus. You're saying all these wonderful things, but you're just talking to the immediate crowd here. Um, and sometimes I can get that mindset that Jesus wasn't thinking about us here in the future. But you can tell here, Jesus' heart was not only for the disciples of the time, not only for the followers of the time, but his heart is for us here today, 2016 years later. What he has to say is, is still valid for us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and as I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Before I go on, that underlined bit there, just as you and I are one. We all know the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three, three persons, yet one, one whole God. The unity that, that the three of, of, of these have, it's, it's something that is completely mind-blowing. We can't, we can't grasp that. We can't grasp it that there's three different persons that can all be the same person. That is just, naturally, it's not, we can't grasp that in our minds. Yet Jesus is praying that us as a church would be one, that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, Father. That's what Jesus is praying. He's not praying a half-hearted prayer like, oh, I hope they get along sometimes and, and can you know, slap each other on the, on, on the head, maybe if someone stuffs, stuffs up or whatever. He's, he's praying for something that is, that can seem out of reach. It seems out of reach because it is supernatural. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Again, we can't do it alone. We can't do it just in the natural aspect. We have to have Jesus as our king, as our good king, as our cornerstone to be able to be in this unity. Goes on to say, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I'm just going to give you, <laughs> I just get blown away every time I read this bit. Perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I looked up um, in the Greek translation, perfect, the word perfect there. He's talking about perfect unity. Um, perfect translates in the Greek to... I looked up on Google Translate how to pronounce this, so excuse me if I get it incorrectly. Something like teleu. And this word means to complete, to accomplish, to consummate in character. 
to consecrate, finish, fulfill, make perfect. Perfect unity. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about um, just really, really, uh, really improved from where we are now. He's not talking about um, the natural sort of perfect that we kind of have an idea. He's talking about a completed, accomplished, consecrated perfection in unity for us as a body of Christ in our own families at home, uh, in, in just our relationships here, one another, a church, for us to be consecrated, completed by God as he intended it. That is what is good. So what, what's the point of all this? Why does, why does God want us to have such perfect unity? Why, why does, well, obviously he doesn't want us to fight against each other, but what does he want to come out of this perfect unity? Jesus said it himself in that verse before. One, one aspect of it is that the world will believe, the world will come to believe through our out-of-this-world unity that God was the one who sent him, that Jesus was not just a man who was very wise. Um, he was not a fraud. He was not, um, he was not fake. He was not a fictional character. But if, if the people of God who follow Jesus were to live their lives in such a united way, in such a holy way that is completely supernatural, which is completely contrast to the way that we live today, that's going to have some people scratching their heads. That's going to have some people getting curious and that's going to have some people realising, oh, this Jesus guy, he's for real. He's the real deal. I remember when I was, when I was a kid, um, back to before we had all of the church extensions, I was um, a young kid, I don't know, maybe, maybe six or seven again. I'm telling lots of um, childhood stories this morning. I hope you're okay with that. Um, and... I remember I used to come to church each Sunday and I loved church when I was a kid. I still do. But as, as a kid, I just had this excitement. I, had, I just had this sense that, oh, yeah, church, this is like the closest that we can get to heaven right now. Like this is heaven, being together with, with believers, with followers of God. This is heaven. And I remember having a sense of church. I remember, you know, having Mike and Mandy and, and the Elamores and, and my family and and I could sense that that unity that we had with the relationships that we had, that it was something stronger than, you know, um, than maybe the relationships we had with mates at school. There was, something, there was something different binding us together as a church family. And I used to think about it and I used to think, my goodness, even, even as like a six, seven-year-old, I used to think, why on earth is every person in the world not a Christian? I just, it baffled me. I couldn't understand it. I used to look around and go, everyone's so kind to each other. Everyone's so loving to each other. I look on the news and I see all these bad things happening. I look at my church and we're loving to each other. We show love. We, we forgive each other. We show grace. I remember thinking just with a childlike faith, just as a young child, why on earth do people not understand that being a Christian is the, is the best way to do life? I understood that as a child. So if a child can understand that, I know that God can, God can enlighten so many people in this world through his church to come to believe the same thing. Now, God is also, God is calling us to be one. I was saying in Ephesians 2 that we are joined together with Christ as a cornerstone to be one. And 
we rise to become a holy temple in the Lord. So brothers and sisters, I urge you to pay attention to what God is calling us to be. He's not just calling us to be nice people. He's not calling us just to be good law-abiding citizens. He is calling us to be one. He is calling us to be holy and he is calling us to be good, a greater good. Yes, this all sounds very fine and dandy. Um, and you know, it's, it's a very nice theme. It's very beautiful. Yes, you've got the words out of the Bible. Good job, Sam. But what does it look like in each moment? What does it look like for each, each person here this morning when we go out this afternoon, throughout our week, what does that look like to be one, to be holy, to be good? The Apostle Paul, our brother in Christ, he was excellent in giving advice, in practical advice. He cut straight to the point. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we read about living as children of, life, uh, of light. And the chapter starts off in verses 1 through to 3. Paul writes... As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Humility, gentleness, and patience, unified through peace. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. So we're not, we're not without that. All of these things that it's talking about, it's not, um, it's not out of reach for us to have humility, to have gentleness, to have patience, to be unified with one another through peace. It's not out of reach. It goes on in four, chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and truly holy. We must be different. We must be contrast. Let us put off the old way of life. Let us not be corrupted by lust and deception and pride and even shame. Instead, let the spirit, the spirit that we were singing about this morning, the spirit that, that we also desire, that we also, that we also love, that we also have, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Again, when I was a kid, I used to, I had this friend, Sarah, um, and she was just a really good kid. Sometimes you, you, might, you might call her the goody two-shoes of our primary school. Anyone here ever got called goody two-shoes? I, I, I was occasionally, depending on what mood I was in. But my friend, Sarah, she was real goody two-shoes. Um, she did her work. She was quiet. She was polite. She was kind. You never heard her say a bad word about anyone. She was just, I just couldn't fault her at all. Um, and back in primary school, I remember just looking at Sarah and going, my goodness, she'd make a great Christian. And I used to just look at her and, and, and I used to think, yeah, she would, you know, she's, she's just like a Christian should be. Um, and I suppose that's all well and good that I was able to understand at a young age that Sarah was doing good things. She wasn't hurting anyone. She was, um, she was being a good steward 
I suppose. Um, but what I didn't realise was that we're not just called to just be nice. We're not just called to be good in the, in the natural sense. We're called to be good in the supernatural sense. And so that's something that surpasses human knowledge, that surpasses human boundaries that keep us down. Um, I'll go on in Ephesians chapter 4 this time, 4, 29 to 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I'm just going to stop there for a second. But how, how important is that? How important are our words? There's, I'm sure there's a passage in the Bible that talks about the tongue being set on fire by hell itself. The tongue is very powerful, church. The tongue is very, very powerful, and we need to watch what we say with it. We need to understand that what we say, it is actually, it does, it does matter. It is important. We, we, um, we might think, you know, oh, no one pays attention to me. I can say a couple of bad things and it won't go too far. But no, let's speak life to each other, church. Let's, let's not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. Let's only say what is helpful for building up others in the church. Let's not gossip. Let's not slander. Let's not do those things. It goes on in verse 30 to say, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Church, the, the God of the universe is calling us to be holy. He's not just calling us to be good. He's calling us to be a greater good. He's calling us to be holy. So don't enter into things like, like gossip, bitterness, anger, rage. But instead, let's be kind, compassionate, forgiving of one another in the hard times. Lorraine was saying before, she spoke out in, in, um, in our worship time, and she was saying that sometimes it's in those times of struggle, it's in those times where we need to... Um, we need to rely on God. That's when we find God closest because that's, that's, that's the whole thing of following Jesus, isn't it? It's in every single moment, in the good times, in the bad times, in the times where we're tempted to talk about that person the way that we always do, in the times that we're tempted to, um, to just fall into that same sin, into that same pit of, of whatever it is. It is in those times that we need to stop and we need to just put on that new nature to be renewed in our thoughts and our attitudes. And yes, we stuff up. We don't get it right every time. But that's where the grace of God comes in. That's where his, his unchanging, uh, unchanging grace comes in. That, that is true for everyone. That can change us. It's about having that new nature. I'm lucky enough to have my brother and his beautiful wife here this week. Hey guys, um, and as a kid, I, I still do, but I loved my brother. Like I, I idolised my brother. He was like my superhero. I wanted to be just like him. I even wanted to be a boy because I wanted to be just like my brother. And I was a girl. I couldn't. I'm happy to be a girl now. Anyway, um, <laughs> and I just loved my brother so much. And he was a very good brother. He loved me. He was protective. He was fun. He let me play computer games with him and. We bonded over heaps of video games. It was great. And he was a good brother. But as 
most older brothers would understand. It is very fun to tease younger siblings. It is very fun to get a reaction, especially out of someone like me, as some of you guys know, <laughs> Eric Josiah. I'm, I'm someone who reacts really well to teasing. If you tease me, I'm going to react in a way that makes it fun for whoever's teasing me. And so I used to do that for my brother. When we were just kids, he used to rile me up. He used to stir, stir the pot and I would just get so... I wasn't sure if I was excited or angry or both. I don't know. I loved the attention, but at the same time, it was frustrating and I was very, very tormented about it. And, <laughs> and I remember on multiple occasions, it would reach this point where I'm like, right, I'm not okay with being treated like this anymore. I want him to show me respect. I'm going to show him. And in my little eight-year-old mind, I would think, okay, that's it. I'm going to bed. And in the morning, when I wake up, I'm not going to say a word to him for the whole day. I'm not going to say one single word to him and I will show him. He's going to see that he can't push me around. He's going to see that I can hold a grudge and that I will not stop holding the grudge until he stops teasing me. And so I used to go to bed some, often with, with that thought going, yes, I'm going to show him. I'm not going to speak to him tomorrow. And then I'd sleep. The morning would come. I'd get up. I'd be refreshed. I'd be renewed. I'd be like, oh, this is my brother. Hi, Jonathan. Because I loved him. I loved my brother. And that grudge that I was trying to hold the night before, it was forgotten. It was, it was melted away. And when I saw my brother in the morning, I loved him. That was the first thing that I, that I saw. I loved him. That's part of that relationship. It's driven by love. It's not driven by duty. But I loved my brother. And so that grudge was no more. It, was, it just fell away. And then I would remember later that day that I was supposed to hold a grudge. And I'd be like, oh, gosh darn it. I'll have to try next time. <laughs> Thankfully, I grew out of that um, wanting to keep a grudge phase. But that's a kind of like, if you can use your imagination, that's a little bit like the new nature that we're supposed to have, that even if we were trying, even if the world around us is telling to, us to keep a grudge, even if, if the world around us is telling us to not talk to that person anymore because they're you know, not treating us the right way, or whatever it is that each of you are, are experiencing, that new nature... It's about waking up in the morning, each new morning, with, with that new grace, with that new love every morning. And for those things, the, those grudges, that jealousy, that hate, that sadness, to just fall away because we're driven by that love. That's what the new nature is about. And for those who might be thinking, oh, you know what, I've, I've, I've been holding grudges for ages, I've been doing this for ages, for years and years. Yes, I've been a Christian, but I just can't teach an old dog new tricks. I, uh, I'm just set in my ways. I can't do it. I've got news for you. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says, we have not, oh, we have, sorry, we definitely have, been given a spirit of fear and timidity. No, we haven't. We have not been given a spirit of fear and timidity, but we have given, been given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I've heard that verse many, many times um, growing up through this church, but usually they'd focus on the power bit and maybe a bit on the love bit, but I don't remember really ever marvelling at the self-discipline bit because I'm like, oh, that sounds boring. Um, but <laughs> the more I've gotten older and I've realised the value of, of self-discipline, of self-control, how exciting is this verse that, that all three of those things are, are powerful, all th three of those things are applicable for each of us in our lives. So when it comes to that time where we're tempted to go the same way that we always do, even maybe in relationships within this church this morning, maybe relationships with family, whatever it is, whenever we're tempted to, 
to go down that path that we usually always do. We've been given a spirit of power to overcome that. We've been given a spirit of love that can make those things fall away. And we've been given a spirit of self-discipline, of self-control, so that we don't, we don't have to do the same thing over and over again. We don't have to. I'm going to finish off on this point. So, so many of us have heard all of this before. You should do this. You should do that. The church should be like this. It ought to be like that. And sometimes that can induce a feeling of guilt for some of us. Um, but I, in my studies with, um, with Harvest Bible College, I, um, there was one quote. I didn't catch who it was that they were quoting, so I'll say anonymous. But there was a really fantastic quote, and I just want to share it with you guys. And it says, The Christian stands not under the dictatorship of a legalistic you ought, but the magnetic field of, the, of Christian freedom under the empowering of you may. You may. You may be different. You may be contrast. You're allowed to. You are empowered to. You can do it. God has enabled us to do all of this. And it is only possible through Jesus. It is only possible through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension that makes him king over all of us, that binds us together as one and that binds us um, to God himself as well. We can do it. You may. You can. You are empowered. You are given authority to do this. Even if you've been doing the same thing over and over and over for years and years, you can change. You can grow. God, God already sees us as... As, as holy. We are already clothed, clothed in his righteousness. It is just up to us to use that righteousness, to go forward in that, so that not only God will see us as righteous and holy, but the world will see us as righteous and holy and go, what's going on over there? They're having a party. I want to join in. You can do that. Imagine if each of us opened our hearts this morning to what God is wanting to, to speak to each of us. Imagine how much better your quality of life would be if, if we're in unity with one another. Imagine how great it would be that, yes, there's bad things that happen in workplaces and in the world, but if we can know that we are in a body of Christ that is holy, that is together, that we are loving each other, we are not, we're not gossiping about each other, we're not tearing each other down, we're not, um, we're not being jealous of each other. Imagine how life would be if we could all, if we could all say that. I'm sure many of us could now already. Imagine the message that we could send to the world. Imagine if in the next year, all of us here, the Christians around the globe, in, in, all in Australia, imagine if we brought back the greater good. Imagine. With Jesus as our king, nothing can stop us. It's not impossible. Jesus has conquered death. With Jesus as our king, it is indeed possible. I'm going to welcome Selwyn back up. Um, but yeah, I just want to encourage you guys. You can. You may. You are empowered. God has given you authority to be able to overcome each thing in your life. Amen. Thank you so much.